I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Tanner Supers family. Today, we're going to speak about the offense, the Timberwolves offense, and the potential that it has and, and where it can go from here. It's, it hasn't been too great this season, and obviously, a lot of different factors factoring into that. But joining me to do that today is Tanner Supers contributor, Jack Borman. What's going on, man? What up, man? How are we doing? Yeah, very well. Um, and coming off the back of another loss to the Toronto Raptors, a pretty ugly game outside of one crazy good third quarter and one crazy good Anthony Edwards dunk. So what? just before we get into it, what, what were some of your thoughts on that game last night? Yeah, I thought the defense played played really, really well. Um, I, I thought that I thought that there was really good activity off the ball on, on defense, especially with with backside backside rotations. When you know when Towns was put on um, Boucher and Boucher would kind of come up for high screens and, and Towns would kind of lift a little bit. I thought that McDaniel's or Vanderbilt um, and even Layman too. And Layman played did a, did a great job cleaning up the backside. Um, you know, tagging rollers, digging on digging on drives and digging on on uh, just penetrations into the lane and. Um, and the Timberwolves rebounded really well last night. I thought, you know, there weren't a lot of stupid, uh, offensive rebounds where there were just four guys ball watching under the hoop and, and, and someone, you know, got an offensive rebound, really easy one for a putback. Um, so overall, I, I thought defensively, the team was really disciplined and did a great job on that end of the floor and, and not making sure, sh- making sure anybody that wasn't, um, you know, Norman Powell get easy looks. Uh, and then obviously offensively, um, it, it just looks like all those guys didn't have a plan um, in, in the in the last you know five minutes of the game once Ricky Ant and and Jaden came back in. Um, you know, I just think that it, you know it's become clear that at, at the end of the game, you know, as as much as you you trust Ricky Rubio and you know how much offense he's ran and. And you, you you know you trust him to take care of the ball. I mean, he had more he had as many turnovers last night in the last five minutes as Carl Anthony Towns had shot attempts. And, and they weren't like turnovers going for the to make the play. Like they were just dribbling off his foot turnovers and you know stumbling over in the lane turnovers. Like they were really maddening. Yeah, and they came at crucial junctures when it, when the team needed points. And um, you know, and I thought it was dumb that that they ran so much pick and roll with, with Ricky and, and Carl, um, you know, <laughs> primarily because, uh, the defense just wasn't respecting Ricky at all. Um, and, and, you know, I just think that Jordan, what he brings to the table is that he, he can really get in the lane and collapse a defense. We saw that a ton when he played alongside D'Angelo Russell last year, you know, the last 20 or so games, um, you know, and we really saw 
what he's capable of doing when you just kind of give him the keys and let him go play. So I'm looking last night at the box score. I mean, he had seven assists and no turnovers and Rubio had four assists and three turnovers and Rubio played, you know, four more minutes than he did. Um, I, you know, I just think that McLaughlin is, is too smart and too, and makes too good of decisions to not close with him at the end of games. Um, you know, well, I think that I think that it was like it's obviously was the highlight of the night, but Ants Dunk was the perfect example of what Jordan McLaughlin does. Like mm-hmm. he penetrates the defense and he can get it out to shooters. Like that doesn't happen with Ricky when no one's respecting his shot and when he's struggling to get by that first man at the point of attack. Like he doesn't have that that defense collapsing on him where everyone kind of. You know, it takes one or two steps towards McLaughlin to stop a drive, and then Ants on the on the wing and, and gets that that half a step and a hard closeout and can and can dunk on someone. Like that's a microcosm that play of of what this system demands from their point guard. And right yeah. now, they're not getting it from any anyone but J Mac. Yeah, and I think too that you know the only real time we've seen Rubio collapse defenses is when he has a pick and roll or pick and. You know, Carl comes sets a high comes and sets a high screen, and Cap pops out against a drop yeah. coverage. Um, and, and that's really the only only instance of that we've seen from Rubio this year. And a lot of times, you know, when the defense does collapse on Rubio, uh, they force a turnover. Um, and, and so, you know, even though D'Angelo Russell isn't a great athlete either, um, you know, he's just so crafty and good at changing speeds and using his handle to get by people. And he's such a good scorer inside the free throw line that he forces yeah. def- he for or he attracts defensive attention, um, you know. Because I'm sure there's people are out there that are thinking, you know, well, D'Lo doesn't do it any better than Ricky does. Well, I mean, D'Lo can hit you with a floater. D'Lo can, you know, give you a head fake and get get right to the rim, or he can, you know, get underneath the basket and make a perfect pass out to somebody else on the wing or in the corner. Um, so, you know, it's going to be something to monitor. Um, you know, Ryan was asked last night, um, so after the game, about about whether he, uh, you know, thought about closing with, with J-Mac. And he said he gave it some thought, um, but he just thought that J-Mac had played to, or just played for a long stretch and needed a break or something like that. Um, he played 22 minutes. And Jordan McLaughlin is in excellent shape. He's probably yeah. in better shape than Rubio is. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so I don't know. I just I, I don't think that that those arguments, you know, or perspectives or whatever you want to call it, it carries a lot of weight. I mean, it does it with me, and I don't really think it does with many Timberwolves fans because, you know, it's you're not even playing half the game. There's there you shouldn't be. I don't care if you play the last ten minutes. Yeah, you, you shouldn't be tired. <laughs> you're a professional athlete. I I don't know. I think that it's becoming more and more obvious that D'Lo and J-Mac is kind of going to be the dynamic they need to run with. And I don't think that's because, we've spoken about this before, but I don't think that's because Rubio is not good enough to play on an NBA team. I think that's that Ricky Rubio doesn't fit so egregiously. Which is why which can't. is why I feel terrible for Ricky. Because I, I, yeah. I really enjoy Ricky Rubio. I, I thought that, I you know, I was over the moon when we got Ricky Rubio in the draft because... I thought that if we were going to get the guy that we saw in Utah and that we saw in Phoenix, um, that it would really, really raise the floor of the Timberwolves. Um, and I think that, you know, he mentioned that his spirit was broken. And you could tell that there was some confidence issues with him just because he was, 
you know, making really poor decisions, even just in simple pick and roll sets. I mean, you can't blame Saunders for that. Like you can't blame Saunders for, you know, having Towns come up to set a pick and then Rubio just making, you know, a bad read and a bad pass. Like that's just simple basketball. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I really, I really hope for, for Ricky's sake that he can be traded, um, despite how badly he wants it to work here. Um, just because I want him to be happy and I want him to be successful. And I don't know that he can be happy and be successful as an individual player. Um, you know, here, I guess, I mean, he's been, he's and you know, credit words do he's been much, much better with Carl Anthony towns back in the lineup. And I think he's got a lot more confidence back and, and he's been shooting the ball really, really well, which is, which is really great. Um, which is, which, you know, is exactly why, like you said, you know, he belongs in an NBA lineup and there are minutes for him to be, be had even in Minnesota where he's not a great fit. Um, but he just can't be closing games, um, you know, against other starters, right now with with what's asked of the point guard in, in this system yeah and the way they've they've changed up the way they're using towns i think a little bit this season it's that's still the five out system but there's more of that they they're running that high pitch and roll they want to get the switch for town so he can roll up a smaller die in the post and they they seem to just be hammering that pretty much all game at the moment and i think rubio is obviously historically a, a great entry passer and and that's maybe hard, some of the reason why they well they want that to work between oh, the two sure. but it just it's just makes town's life even harder playing with a guy like rubio who even when he's shooting well defenses just don't respect his shot like all it takes is that one or two feet like then obviously they're not giving in the ben simmons treatment but that one or two feet where a defender can just sag off, get his hands up, that now Towns got another guy in front of him while he's trying to steal a wing or a guard in the post. It's it's just so crowded. I I feel like for these last seven games or six games with Towns back, it's just been so crowded every time they're trying to get that that post-up opportunity. And then obviously when he does get the ball, he gets doubled immediately and he's kicking it out to Rubio, you know, most of the time because it's the same side. The guy pass. Get, it's the same side. Pass. Yeah, so Rubio and will that's enter. the guy they're gonna. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy they're gonna try and double off. Like they're gonna, yeah, he's gonna enter from the slot, you know, and then they're gonna kind of come straight down off Ricky Rubio and make him beat them with a shot. And and last night we saw those two in the first quarter where he pump faked and sidestepped for the three and missed, and they're just they're just not good shots, man. Yeah, like, and and specifically with those two plays. Um, you know, I, I think I tweeted about one of them, but you know, if Ricky pump fakes and the guy's still close enough behind him where he doesn't feel comfortable shooting, take three steps and get into the lane and try and draw the weak side corner defender in so you can kick it out to that corner. Like on one of those plays last night, Jaden McDaniels, even after the kick out back to Rubio, was wider than wide open in the opposite corner. And, and then and even Ricky if Jaden, and then even if, even, even if Jaden's not open in the corner, by the time he gets the ball in the corner, he's not open. You know, then just make the extra pass to to Malik on the same side wing, or or you know, and reset. then there's another closeout. Like, there's, if he's not open, someone's closing out to him, and he can attack the closeout. Exactly. Like, you yeah. see these, you see these teams thrive in drive and kick, and I think that's what Ryan Saunders and the you know offensive staff want is for that drive and kick game to 
to work like Golden State or to work yeah. like Utah. Utah, I think, is the best example. Like they just drive and kick all games. It, so even crisp with their wings with too. I mean, and and you know we can talk about this too. You know, a little bit later on, but you know, I think that's the way. That's the golden ticket for Josh Kogi offensively. Um, is that I, I personally think that Josh has gotten a lot better at driving the ball on you know live dribble passing underneath the rim he's made some advanced passes and and he's said over the summer that he really worked on that um and don't get me wrong i mean he's still out of control half the time um and makes some dumb decisions and gets caught in the air which is you know really harmful for the team if he's turning it over and he just can't really play much if he's going to turn it over but um you know if he's able to you know, if he's able to to get into the lane and attack closeouts, because they're still closing out on him a pretty decent amount, even though he's not shooting it well. Um, you know, if he can attack closeouts or cut and get the ball and then make an extra pass, like I trust Josh to do that quite a bit. Um, you know, and that's just and like, that's what made him passable as a player because yeah. he well, he did he did do that, but now it just feels like he's just his mind is just stuck in no man's land. Like I've been. First of all, the first to advocate Josh Okoji on this podcast. We've always been big fans. And then secondly, the first to advocate that he just can't play right now. And that's because it's there isn't any of that drive and kick. There's no there's no direct mentality to go to go off the dribble. And like, he's playing he's just, in cluttered lineups too. Yeah. I mean, and I think when you know, he's not playing enough minutes next to Towns. And if yeah. you're gonna play Josh Kogi, you've gotta play him next to Towns. And I, I personally still think that once D'Lo comes back, that Josh Kogi should start. It should be either Josh Kogi or Vanderbilt, depending on who you're playing. Or because, I mean, he's just too valuable as a defender, and I don't think he's bad enough offensively to, you know, just completely screw up a lineup that has D'Lo, Malik, Ant, and Cat in it. And I think that there will yeah. be more driving lanes for him there. But right now, as it presently stands, like, hand up. Like I, I was, I would, I guess I overestimated <laughs> what he could do offensively, but you know, ho- hopefully with. But Kat- that's because he'd never been this bad before. Yeah, and I mean, like, he's always he played with always Kat, been, so that's probably yeah, why. And he'd always been a bad offensive player relative to the rest of the league, but this is like potentially the worst offensive player in the league. Like he just doesn't know, doesn't seem to know what to do. He's in his own head about shooting threes, so you can tell when he has when someone does close out on him, he's kind of doing that little jab step. And, you know, fake a three, head fake, like, instead of just going like he used to. And like you said, dishing from, from under the ring and, and getting it out to shooters or just trying to finish himself. His free throw rate has always been elite for a wing. And he's always been a good free and, throw shooter. Yeah, and he's just not getting there at all. Even when he is getting there, he's, he percentages are lower. He just, everything is just splotted at the moment. Yeah, for, I mean, most of his free throw attempts have come on him crashing the offensive glass and then getting fouled going back up which he's still very good at um but you know i mean and, the, it and just, the little it things make, he needs to do yeah. yeah i mean it could just make more sense at this point to be playing jake layman um yeah i'm very curious i think i think next game layman will take his minutes just because layman obviously provided that shot in the arm mm-hmm. against toronto but i'm very interested to see what happens when Culver comes back, like, do they? Do you think they persist with Culver? Because that's the position I think that's up for grabs at the moment, and maybe Jalen Noel's as well, who seems to be falling out of the rotation pretty slowly. Uh, but do you think Culver plays when Akari gets back? Do you think there's a chance Akari just gets 
um, drops from this rotation. I do, yep. Like, yeah. You, like, because I think they need to persist with Culver, kind of, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think you trust that, you know, JC's looked really good this year and last year with Carl Anthony Towns. You know, that two-man lineup is incredibly positive. Um, and, and Culver's a much better shooter when Towns is on the floor, too. Um, because, you know, people he's usually the guy that people are sagging off of a little bit. And, and I mean, JC is not a super uber terrible, you know, catch and shoot guy, or at least he hasn't been this year. Um, yeah. He just plays. Like he's not 17% from three. He's more like 29%. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he's just a more confident player with cat and he's a better driver than Kogi is. Um, yeah. And, you know, Kogi is probably a bit of a better finisher around the rim just because he can dunk over people and, and, you know, the combination of Josh also being able to shoot well if he gets to the free throw line. Like, you know, I mean, there's give, there's good things about each guy and there's bad things about each guy. And I think with the way Josh is playing right now, you know, I think it makes sense to to try and showcase JC a little bit leading up to the trade deadline. Um, because if JC plays well and, you know, you can package him in Rubio or you can just trade him on his own. Um, you know, I, it's possible. I mean, I, I think that, you know, Wancho and Davis are probably guys that they'd look to trade first, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. And, and, and I personally hope for, for Jarrett that, that he's able to play and he's able to kind of find a groove because when he finds his groove offensively, um, you know, he's a really positive player. Uh, because he because he's a positive player defensively, um, and you know the Wolves have really struggled to guard pick and roll um, at the point of attack because they've kind of oscillated with Akogi in and out of the lineup. And if Culver can shoot the ball well um, and make make smart decisions on offense uh, while also you know playing that level of defense that he did before he got hurt up top, um, you know, I, there's no reason to think that Jerk Culver, you know, won't be in the rotation moving forward. But, but I, I certainly think that Ryan is going to give him a shot. Yeah, I, I think the wild card in this and what has made Josh's job a little bit more expendable is the fact that they seem to be fairly content with giving Jaden McDaniel's point of attack reps especially against wings, you know, wings who, who handled the ball. Kind of like the I DeMarco mean, Rosen night, type. Yeah, and last night he he was fucking unreal in that third yeah. quarter, Jaden <laughs> McDaniels. Like, I, like, I'm writing about it now. He made 10-plus ridiculous defensive plays in that third quarter by itself. Like, And he switched from guarding Pascal Siakam every time up the floor, and obviously, like, that was his... His man, and then halfway through the quarter, he changed to guarding Fred Van Vliet, and not on switches. Like he was lining up on Van Vliet, and Van on Vliet every was defensive. awful last night. Yeah, and he Van Vliet was off just in general. Like yeah. he wasn't. He's four of twenty, having his best night. Yeah, and but, he had five um, turnovers. I wonder. I wonder if Nate Duncan knows that. Um, he. <laughs> he was missing shots because of Van Vliet, uh, because of McDaniel. The length, yeah, he for was, sure. Like, and just the activity, he was swallowing him up on, like, when they, and they were attacking him. I, I don't know why, after t- nine possessions in a row, they still thought that uh, a McDaniels isolation was the way to get a bucket because he he destroyed Siakam, like, for five straight plays. And then they, t- you know, put the ball in Van Vliet's hands, and now it's McDaniels who's swallowing up Van Vliet, like, 
he, I think that he makes Josh a little bit more expendable because now you have that other guy that they at least trust to do the point of attack stuff. I don't right. think he's as good as Josh when Josh is locked in just because Atogi can slide through screens a lot better. He's obviously a lot stronger as well. But like McDaniel's recovery length and recovery timing on blocks and just contests is the best on the Timberwolves team already, 20, 30 games in. So maybe that that's what they envision if they if they do take a Cody out of the lineup to give them some more offensive punch with Culver. They kind yep. of replace his point of attack minutes with with McDaniel's. Yeah, and and one one note that I, I just want to make about about a Kogi and, and him being kind of expendable is that you know right now the guys who the Timberwolves have on their bench that aren't playing are Wancho and Ed Davis, and those are the two most obviously expendable guys on the team, but. I also think that there's some value in keeping Josh Okogie on the roster, even if he's not going to play, because he was the 20th pick in the draft. He's still on his rookie deal. And if he doesn't, you know, play super well, uh, he doesn't play super well, like offensively, um, you know, you still have some years left on that contract where you can really develop his or try and help develop his offensive game. Because he's still going to be that really, really good defender. And he's the type of guy that, you know, can really help you if you make the playoffs just because of his defensive versatility. Um, you know, I, I just... And he's a perfect he's a per- perfect bit part kind of player. Like, he's the perfect throw him in there for five minutes in a game where you can't get a stop exactly, at the point yeah. of attack. Yeah, like, and I, just let I, him do his thing. I just don't think, like, take him out of the rotation, sure, fine. You know, I, I don't love it, but... You know, I, I compl- I'm at the point where I completely understand why people feel that way, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. Um, but I, I think it would be foolish to trade him. I think he's one of those guys where if you trade him, you know, he goes to this place that has goes to a team that has like a really strong development uh, program. Like I could see the Spurs just being like, "Oh, give me Josh Kogi," and Josh yeah. Kogi. All the Raptors. All the Raptors. Yeah, life. I mean, he's just the type of guy where I think if the Timberwolves were to trade him like a year afterwards they'd be like how the hell did we let this guy go you know yeah yeah but if yeah and it wouldn't be the first time (laughs) so do you want to get into uh kind of the meat and potatoes yeah so obviously the offense has been i think for me the biggest disappointment of the season obviously injuries and 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 the covid concerns with cat and all of that stuff has has played a pretty big part in this team being the worst team in the league uh but the offense is what i guess we banked on to to be the life preserver heading into the season so that that's really been disappointing to me it was 100 uh, their, their defensive uh, offensive rating was 105.2 before the last six games that towns played it's been 108.3 since cat returned which is obviously 3.1 points per 100 possessions better but Still pretty average. I think that ranks 23rd lead-wide over the last six games. So it's it's not good. It's I just think by way of Towns being on the floor and attracting defenders into his airspace, be it on the perimeter or the posts, the offense clearly has just seen a, a, an uptick and has at least looked passable, I think, in every game that wasn't that rock fight against Toronto. Like, that that brought down that number a few points per possession, I'd say, because they obviously scored 81 in the entire game last night. But 
you can see the makings of a good offense when when Towns is there and as the number one option and, and Anthony Edwards is playing with him or, or off him in pick and roll and spot up situations and then Beasley is being a second or third banana as a knockdown shooter and a, and a pretty aggressive cutter. I just think, and I hate to harp on this, but I just cannot get away from the coaching, the philosophies at the moment, the, the scheme. I just seem to, to think that they completely conflict with what the team does best. I, I spoke before about trying to trying to hammer these switches and get Towns down low and sealing those smaller guys who get switched onto him. It, I, I don't think it works when Rubio's there. It doesn't, well, it doesn't work enough. I, I understand what they want to do in theory. They want to get Towns the ball in the post. If it's single coverage, he's getting a bucket. Like if, they, if he rolls up a wing in the post, he's going to get a bucket in single coverage. Most of the time, the defense is going to bring two pretty quickly and then he can whip passes to shooters and cutters and, you know, all that good stuff. And we've seen him do that. The, that third quarter, that he had that pass to Lehman out of the post when, when Lehman made the backdoor cut. He's made plenty of passes to shooters in the corners. But if that shooter is Rubio or Edwards or Cody or, you know, anyone who's not reliable, then it's just not a more productive play than running the five out with Towns at the top of the key and making him shoot threes or making him attack off the catch where he's, he's averaging 1.8 drives per game this season, Towns, which is his lowest since the first Thibodeau season. When he was ju- when Tibbs just absolutely forced front on the ball in the post and he was one of the best post-up yeah, players and, in the league. I think that was yeah, great for well, his development, though, as a post-up player. That yeah, first and he's shooting 70% on drives. And you can picture the drive where, he, where the ball swings to him at the top of the key and... All he has to do is just head fake that little bit and the big steps out and he just gets his shoulder past him and gets to the ring in those big long strides. Like <laughs> yeah, I wanna see that night. more than Yeah, I wanna see that more than twice a game. And I just think that I think there's a reason why post ups are a dying breed in the NBA, and that's not because Chat can't score in the post, because we both know that he can. It's just because they, they really suck the life out of your offense and your and the movement in your offense, I think. Like even when the wing, if a wing's on him, it's just just trying to force feed that post entry pass rather than just running that split. I, I think I, last year they were they were much more, uh, they were a much better offensive team and they were much more conducive to, to yeah, Towns straight I, up scoring himself. Yeah, I, I want to push back a little bit um, on the post up thing, and, and the reason being is because I think that the way NBA defenses have evolved is that. They try and force the ball out of the hands of of players who are posting up because, you know, teams are playing smaller now and they don't have as many true big defenders out there as they have in the past. Um, And I I think what happens is that teams who post up a ton generally have a kind of, you know, offensive beacon that you can run your entire offense through that's a really good playmaker in the post. And I think that well, we see it. We see it with Embiid. He's yeah, the, the gold standard. Of the yeah, moment. and same with same with Jokic. I mean, Jokic plows through people. You know, will get doubled and tripled in the post and make perfect passes for easy baskets. And I think that you know, almost a post up could be a way to you know increase the the movement in your offense. Solely, well, be- that's how they're. That's definitely what they're taking it as. You know, I think that's what the that's why they're doing it. 
Yeah, and and I hope so because you know you have a lot of guys on this team who are like when they cut, they're really good cutters. Whether you have McDaniel's or Beasley or Edwards or a Kogi or Layman, um, Noel is a good cutter. Nas Reed's a good cutter. I mean, there's so many guys on this team that can cut effectively, and 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 they've really got to do that with Towns because you know. Especially, like if Towns has a has a post up in like the short corner on the on the right on like the left side of the, or the right side of the floor, and you've got a guy at the nail, you've got a guy in the left slot, and you've got a guy in the left corner. If the guy in the left slot cuts, he's taking two guys with. He's either wide open for a bucket, or he's taking two guys with him, and the guy in the opposite corner is wide open. And it's just on you know Towns to make that read. Or the person who kicks it out, or the person who Towns kicks it out to, to make that read. Like it's so, like it's amazing how simple cuts out of a post up with a player who's demanding, you know, two, three defensive players to to be on him to slow him down. Uh, like there's a reason why Malik Beasley has shot and made more corner threes since Towns came back than any player in the NBA, and he's shooting like 55% on them. I have I have the numbers here from Allen Horton before yesterday's game. So before yesterday's game. He was he shot twenty eight or he shot fifty one threes in the corner. That's first. He's made twenty eight of them. That's also first. And is he's this made, in the last six games, or yeah, is this for the season? Or it's over the last month. And okay. you know, since since January eighteenth, and he's shooting fifty five percent, which is number two with a minimum of 30, 30 attempts. I mean, it, it's there's things like that that are so simple in the film room that you can just show players and be like, you know what, we have cap back now. This is the type of shit that we can do. It's so simple, you know, yeah. and it, and, it, and for a guy like Jaden McDaniels, like that helps Jaden McDaniels get his offensively too. Like, so, and then if you have, when you have Russell back, I mean, Russell's a guy <laughs> who can just catch the ball and shoot it immediately from anywhere inside a half court. And so, I mean, I think that these post-ups have to happen almost more than they have, um, it's so, about the execution, I think. Yeah, it's about so they can practice getting, executing stuff. Because you don't, I mean, the Timberwolves have probably practiced less than 10 times this entire season. Yeah, and so, I mean, I mean, but I, but I also understand the argument that, that you're making about, you know, moving away from the post-ups and trying to use him more, you know, as a screener or as a perimeter player. Because we saw him being used um, far, far more as a perimeter player last year, especially at the beginning of the year. And he was utterly dominant. I mean, he was shooting like 45% from three was driving more getting to the line, um, you know, finding mismatched, mismatched, mismatches and taking them into the post. Like, I mean, there's just, they've got to be more creative with how they use them, whether it's in the post or on the perimeter. Well, yeah, we, we definitely agree on that. I just, I, I do agree with you and I, I'll concede that, a lot of that makes perfect sense to me. I just think the problem at the moment is more the first the way the team cuts and does those things that they should do to to maximize that offense around him, and they just don't do it enough. I think you like we saw it with that layman cut where Towns fed him with that little kind of over the over the shoulder no look pass within seconds of of layman coming on the floor last night, like you don't notice that that's not there until you see it. And you just think like, where, where has that been all game in a game where they're shooting 35% from the field and Towns has got 15 post-ups for the game. And that was the first time they could get a guy moving towards the basket for an easy dunk. Like 
that shouldn't be that hard. And and that's on the players, I think. It's on the coaches to, to, to kind of enforce that, but it's also on the players. But I just think that when Rubio, and, and as much as we love Ant, I think Ant is just the inconsistent shooter, obviously, at the moment. Shut um, up, Nate. I, <laughs> I just don't... I just think that the personnel doesn't fit the style, and maybe that's just... The, they're going to p- push through that like they did last season. Yeah, like, like they... I, it's definitely not as bad as last season. And like, I, I definitely think that Ant fits this style because it's a lot of yeah, driving yeah, and yeah. kicking and, and Ant is perfectly fits that. Well, and I think as an yeah. on-ball playmaker, as he continues to develop, he's going to be an incredible player. Um, like just someone who can really affect the game, even if he's not scoring well. Um, but, but the, but I mean, yeah, Ant doesn't fit if he's just going to sit on the perimeter and jack eight threes a game and go two for eight or one for one for seven or, or whatever it's going to be. Uh, the problem for me, the problem for me is that all the ball movement and the and Towns kind of being the guy who's setting the table for everything does sound good and it will work if guys are hitting their shots. But Towns isn't getting enough shots, and I know we can both agree on that. Like, mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like. Like, if Towns is getting your third most shots every night because he can't physically shoot himself when he's in the process, he just gets swarmed the minute he gets it, understandably so, then something's going wrong. Because I don't think you can win games unless Towns is taking 18-plus shots a night. Like yeah, I, just, I agree with, I think that's I agree my with issue. that. That's my issue is they need to find ways to get Towns shots, and I don't think that... I think there needs to be less post-ups to get Towns his looks, and I'll bang on about this for the rest of eternity until someone fucking does it, like... They need, Towns needs to be used as a shooter at times. Like, yep, 100%. As fucking Duncan Robinson, you know what I mean? Like, not as Anthony Towns pick and pop. Like, run him off screens, run plays. that Run the same plays you do for Malik, for, for Cat. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's one thing that I think Ryan Saunders has been very good with this year. I think some of the off-ball shooting plays that he's run for Malik Beasley... Uh, has has yeah. gotten a lot more creative, especially in the corners. Um, and we saw that at the end of the, you know, shit. What was what before the Raptors game? Who were they playing? Um, Indiana. Yeah, or not Indiana. It was the Hornets game, where yeah. you know at the end of the game, where Cat has this flurry of like, holy shit, you know, this guy's making these, you know, step in and sidestep threes, like, and yeah. those were both, you know, ATO yeah. plays for Cat. And, yeah, they run and, that elbow action with with Malik, and, where they kind of split with Malik and Cat, and Ricky comes and sets the screen, and and Malik flares, Cat pops. That's a beautiful play for Cat. I don't know why that's not a staple of their playbook. Yeah, and and they used Cat as a shooter way more last year, and that's why I yeah. think this season is so damn confusing as to you know why they're changing so much. I, I guess where I'm coming from with the post ups is that, like. Obviously, it's not just simple post-ups. Like, they need to be more creative with how they can get mismatches for him in the post so that even if he's getting yeah. doubled, it's easier for him to make passes or make plays or just, you know, bully someone into, you know, just bully someone into, you know, an easy bucket inside. And, and you see with Embiid, what they do with Embiid a lot of times is they get the ball to Embiid almost in the corner or yeah. right at the top of the, right at the, you know, free throw line or the nail. And so it's there, so much harder to double from there because then there's so much up, space. And, and he fa- yeah. he faces so when he faces up, you can't really bring a second defender because he's already turned around, so that it's super yeah. easy for him to make any passes. And so, like when yeah. you when I think about it, 
I mean, the Timberwolves ran wedge action after wedge action after wedge action against Cat in the first game against Detroit and the second game against against Utah. And they did the same thing where they were getting him the ball kind of almost in the short corner and he would face up so that he wouldn't get a double and then he would back down and then either get two feet in the paint and score, get fouled or kick it out to a shooter on the opposite side. And so, you know, it's really just about, you know, like you were saying, the creativity. So you have to figure out ways to use him as a shooter, pull him off screens to, um, you know, maybe get elevator doors for him or inverted ball screens where you have small guys screening for a big guy so he can, you know, be used as a cutter coming down the lane or, yeah, you know, get him flare screens and screen the screener actions. Uh, you know, and I wonder how much of this of is on Towns. Is, is, I wonder how much of this is on Towns and just kind of not moving as much as he, not making himself available as much as he as he should as a shooter rather than just kind of and I think he's a little bit out of shape cat I think oh yeah I still he, think he is but you know I mean that, and I that's think that's not why he's not yeah I think that's why he's not shooting threes as much in general his legs are probably just a little bit heavy and it is harder to shoot threes when your legs are that heavy and it's completely understandable I mean, why they would be after the season he's had yeah and he doesn't really have any much lift on his shot anyways which makes yeah. me think that he still should be able to shoot um but I mean, Cat's post-game press conferences, some of his comments have really made it seem like, you know, all these plays and these actions are designed for other people and that, you know, they haven't been designed for him to be getting the ball and him to be shooting. Yeah. Like he's just kind of, you know, I'm just, you know, I just clock in and I'm doing what people tell me to do. Whereas like I, I sometimes I think Cat's just got to grab the game by the nuts and just say, you know, <laughs> fuck this and just start taking over because if yeah. if Ryan has a play called and Cat's like you know what fuck this I like this op- I like this uh, you know I like this matchup I have on me I like this mismatch I like you know this path that I see to the rim like he should just say screw whatever play we're running and do whatever he thinks is best in that moment and I just don't think we've seen a lot of that from Cat um I do think that whenever he's had an open look from three, you know, whether it be in the flow of the offense, you know, before a play gets to, you know, the designed part of it really, or like, um, you know, or just in, in general drive and kick offense, I think he's been fairly aggressive in shooting threes that have been open. I don't think he's really passed up any open looks at a shot, if that makes sense. There just haven't been enough open looks for a shot from him. Um, And and in, in when he does, I think Ant and, and Rubio especially have missed him too much. Um, yeah. You know, when he's up at the top of the key and by the time they make the passes, especially Ant, I think he's kind of a second or two late on some of his reads. Um, you know, when he's been able to get the ball back up to the top of the key, the defenders have already been able to recover. Um, and, you know, like you were saying, that the whole out of shape thing could also impact the way that he is or is not attacking closeouts. Uh, because Cat's yeah. usually been somebody that if he has a, a bigger and slower, you know, center on him, like a, a Jakob Pertle or, um, you know, a Brooke Lopez Steven or Adams. someone like that. Yeah, exactly. Where he's just pumped and gone and just dunked all over people or just had a wide open lane. And I think the shape that being out of shape thing could definitely have a huge impact on why we haven't seen as much of that. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to talk about Ant. We'll take a, a quick break just so... Um, we can get some ads in here and then, then I want to come back and talk about it. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, you, you mentioned Ant just before we went away there and his latest reads on, on the pick and roll, uh, on the pick and pop with Towns. I think I, I want to just hit on that for a second because Rubio, as you said, has been the same. And, and to be honest, it's been frustrating the hell out of me watching that. And I think that both of those guys, you know, you, you look through Rubio's career, obviously, and at, at Georgia have never played with it, even pick and pop bigs in general, like let alone potentially the, you know, the best shooting big man of all time. So I think they, they seem to need to get, you know, deep inside the arc so they can turn around and make that pass because that's what you see with the with the kind of you know average stretch five or average stretch four someone who's shooting 36 percent from three they they need that wide open shot for it to be a good shot whereas towns and i think ricky rubio is starting to figure it out a little bit and and um that like as soon as you get by your man in uh, after the screen you can whip that ball over your head and if Towns is kind of open, it's a good shot. Like, it's a 40% shot. And I think that I do understand, I guess, why they've struggled a little bit with it just because I think it's an adjustment to play with someone who's that good of a shooter when you've never played with... When you're used to playing with big men who are just pretty much strictly big men. You're used to playing with DeAndre Ayton or Rudy Gobert. Yeah. and, and same thing for him. I mean, Georgia was one of the 50 worst shooting team, shooting three point shooting teams uh, in all of college basketball last year. Um, and I think they were like 310th out of 353 teams or something like that. Um, you know, and I think for Ant, you know, we're seeing the flashes of, of what he can do next to Cat. And I think the playmaker excuse me, the playmaking for him that's come a little easier has been, you know, when Cat's rolled and he's kind of been able to probe in the paint yeah. and make wraparound passes. But and I think for Ant, um, it, I th- I'm personally okay if he misses Cat at the top of the key because because he's like laser focused on, I need to get to the rim. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I th- that's an okay mistake with me. I'm not going to be like, God damn it, Ant! Like you're doing something that we've all been like trying to get you to do the whole year, and you know you're finally, you know what I mean? So yeah. So I think the kind of the next step for him is, you know, bef- as he's kind of probing to just kind of look back uh, like yeah. just cuz even if he looks back too i mean it could pause or could you know pause his defender and and allow him to get an extra step to the rim because his you know his burst is just that quick um and and you know i i, I really do think that that ant needs to be used more as a you know as an on ball player in 
pick and roll. Like I know his pick and roll numbers haven't been great. Um, but I mean, the Timberwolves are seven and 23 or seven and 24, yeah. whatever it is. The season's down the tubes and you got to start thinking about what are things that are really going to be cornerstones of this offense moving forward. It, it, not if you're Ryan Saunders, if you're Gerson Rosas, because if a new coach is in, you know, installed next season, there's what are things that even that coach is still going to look at and be like, we need more of this. And that yeah. ant cat PNR seems like top of the list for me. Um, and, and so, you know, just getting them as many reps as they can and shoot around in the games uh, is just going to be is just going to be crucial for his development. And um, and I'd also like to see the Timberwolves try and run more horns or Spain PNR with Ant just to try and give him more reads to try and make. You know what I'm saying? Because like if you have run horns, I mean, you can have one guy roll into the basket with him and Towns above the break. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think that they need to try and put more on Ant's plate for him to, you know, look at and, and try and make decisions with. Um, and and I just think give defenses more looks. I think in general it's kind of malpractice how little Spain pick and roll this team runs. Yeah. Like, when you have Anthony Towns, who can be that, that backside screener who pops while the, while the other screener rolls... It just seems wild that they don't hammer that. Like, there's teams that run Spain pick and roll as literally the staple of their pick and roll offense. Like, and this team, I don't know if I've seen them run it once, maybe once or twice, you know, just when they're kind of riffing, but it doesn't seem like it's it's something that they've been told to do. And, and like you said, Ant's obviously been rough for the last couple of games, but... Like you can clearly see that the path is there for him to be an effective, a super duper effective downhill player coming off a pick. Like he's a special mover, man, and like really special body control. He just needs to learn how to harness it and figure out how to like apply that that specialness against the big bodies of the league. And and I think you see it progressing before our eyes. I mean, we've night. seen it progressing in the first you know thirty games of the season. I mean, the kid's yeah. 19. He doesn't turn 20 until August. So, I mean, he's even, uh, he's a young 19 too. Um, yeah. And, and with, you know, going back to the whole Spain PNR thing, I mean, that's something that you should be running more of with, with Ricky too, because that's something that doesn't require, you know, Ricky to get downhill as much. And I think it's an action too, or if, you know, you have Malik, you know, you have Malik kind of as that backside screener who then Towns sets the screen for. You can have Malik at the top of the key. You can have Towns rolling with him. Or shit, you could have Towns then pop off of the screen that he's setting for Malik. And then you have two shooters at the top of the key. One of them is guaranteed to be open. Or Ricky's can do that thing where he kind of has that wide open, you know, right-handed layup where he... You know, yeah. holds the ball out wide and kind of like Statue of Liberties <laughs> it up into the, into the you know into the cup, and, and that's going to be there, and that's something that I, you know, I feel very confident that Ricky Rubio could really excel in because that's, you know, what we saw a ton of in Utah. Utah runs that so much. I mean, the same thing with Phoenix too, uh, because DeAndre yeah. Ayton's such a great screener, and they they ran that for Devin Booker and Cam Johnson and. Um, you know, and even guys Kelly like Oubre. Yeah, yeah, Kelly Oubre and, and Dario Saric. Um, so, you know, it's 
it's just little things like that that you can even run to to maximize more of kind of the ill-fitting pieces too. Uh, but it's also something that you know you run with ant, and yeah. you know you start thinking about the future. I think it's going to be hard though to try and balance like trying to maximize what you currently have while also you know keeping the future in mind and trying to you know develop guys now. Um, it's just kind of like a a tough rope to walk. And if you can find actions like like Spain that have the that can check both of those boxes. I, I think that's ultimately what you've got to prioritize for the rest of the season. Yeah. I think I, obviously the Delo's injury kind of set the marker for this, but I think you can see the difference between, I guess, process over results just from the way they're using Ant. Like they, they, at the start of the season, they pretty much used him, like Malik Beasley, they'd get him coming off those wide pin downs, more curling curling around them at the start of the season, just getting him downhill. And I actually thought that was a fairly good way to use him. I think in general, like you said earlier, Malik has been the only guy that I would definitively say has been well coached this season or maximized offensively. I think that Malik's very scalable in general, just as a high-level shooter and a guy who kind of never stops working hard or looking to get himself open. But they, they do run good action for him. They run those wide pin downs. They Lately with Towns, they've been running that wedge action where the Towns kind of rolls into into a wedge and then sets a screen for Malik to come out into the corner. But they that's the stuff they were running for Ant at the start of the season. It seems to just be like plug and play. You know, you, you, run, you play Malik's role, curl off these screens instead of flaring out to three and, and let's get you downhill and, and get you one dribble and, and going up. So uh, it's now it's we've obviously transitioned into the pick and roll aspect of it, which, which Ant isn't as good at. And I think it does at times kind of help you, not help you lose games, but it's not as conducive to winning as trying to maximize Ant as just like a one dribble downhill guy. But it's the process. Like, if Ant's going to be a great player, he has to be good in the pick and roll. And I'm, I think it's a good, I think it's a good strategy to just, just hammer it. Just get him in the pick and roll. Let him figure things out on the fly. I think we've seen for sure that he learns on the job way quicker than I think a lot of us suspected he would coming out of Georgia. He was always going to be that guy who who's you know extremely talented but but takes the whole year to figure out what NBA basketball looks like but like you can see it you know his brain ticking over throughout a game and him learning on the fly and uh, I'm very bullish on Ant and his development at the moment more than I ever have been just yeah as I said I just think that he's learning much quicker than I ever thought he would yeah no I, I completely agree with that um, so what do you think, like, how differently does this all look if, if D'Lo is mm-hmm. playing instead of Rubio? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of the things that I've sat here complaining about to do with the post-ups and, and the way they're using towns, I think that gets mitigated because, or, you know, D'Lo being on the court instead of Rubio stops that, that double coming and then they're going to have to run doubles I don't know who they do. They run doubles off Edwards. Like Vanderbilt's a great cutter. I think Vanderbilt, you know, when he 
when the double's coming off him, they pretty quickly put McDaniels in for him. You really can't run a double off McDaniel if McDaniels is if, if he's in the corner. You can't still can't run doubles off Edwards because Edwards on t- attacking off the catch is gonna get you what a nabied. and you know you you <laughs> like you know what I mean. It's not Ricky Rubio where even if he does attack a closeout and drive, you you're still pretty confident you can stop him from destroying you all night. Like if you just let Anthony Edwards attack closeouts all night, like people are gonna get murdered on the court. So yeah. that's what Delo that's what Delo stops while also adding, you know, an elite shot creator as well, and that's what they're crying out for. Like, yeah, last and- night, last night in the last two minutes, they needed a D'Angelo Russell so very badly. Yeah, and you know, one thing that that I just want to highlight too is that, you know, D'Angelo Russell is not this on ball ball hog doesn't make anybody around him better player. If you think that because of what you've seen so far in Minnesota, that's fine, but you're wrong. (laughs) I don't care what his net rating is this year, playing with Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. I, I really don't care because that's not how this team was constructed to play. That's not how this team is going to look in the future, and it is not an indictment of D'Angelo Russell as a player. D'Angelo Russell hasn't been healthy the entire year. He <laughs> and he's and he's playing with super ill-fitting pieces around him where he's the only he, at the time he was the only player that defenses had to key in on. Like they're literally running a James Harden offense with like a, a Cleveland Cavaliers supporting cast. Yeah. Like. And and you want to know what? Like, yeah, I don't blame D'Angelo Russell for not trusting D'Angelo or, or D'Angelo Russell for not trusting Ant yet or Malik yet or Jared Vanderbilt or Nas Reed or Jake Lehman or any of the other guys that he's playing with. There was just a clear lack of trust. And that's, I, I think that's okay because Delo is still the best offensive player on the team without cat at that time. And, you know, if you look back to D'Angelo Russell's, you know, all-star season in 2018, 19 with the Nets, he played off the ball a pretty significant amount. And, and, you know, even when he, you know, even when he was playing off the ball, it, it has everything to do with how are you using, how are you using the player, right? Yeah. And yeah, off the ball isn't just standing in the corner as a shooter. That's no, it's, not it's, how you maximize it's not just catch and shoot because it can be attacking closeouts. It can be, you know, taking one dribble and then making another pass. And, and D'Angelo Russell truly is one of the best like off-ball spot-up players in the NBA because the decisions he makes in terms of when to make an extra pass, when to attack a closeout, and when to shoot are very, very good. And the numbers for pretty much his entire career bear that out. So I want to take I just kind of want to take people through kind of these numbers and what they mean. So in his all-star season with the Nets. In spot-up situations, so this is him catching the ball on the perimeter, you know, triple threat, can either pass out of it, shoot, or drive. He averaged 1.126 points per possession, which is in the 82nd percentile. In those situations, he took 205 field goal attempts, and he shot 42% on those attempts, most of which were threes. He had an effective field goal percentage of 58%. Like, that's pretty damn efficient. And in catch and shoots, he shot 37% on 217 catch and shoot threes, 
which was 67th percentile. In the year in the year after with gold, I, so I split 2019-20 into two into two you know subsections with Golden State and with the Wolves. Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches at scheming up off-ball stuff, obviously because he has the two best off-ball players of all time. In, and in he has terms Draymond of, there in to, terms of shooting. to set the table. Yeah, and, and D'Angelo Russell averaged 1.228 points per possession off the ball. That's 92nd percentile. Shot 45% for an EFG of 64%. Okay? That that's that's, that's mind blowingly good. That is for and for for like doing that without really any other good players around you other than Draymond Green. That is outrageous. And this year, yeah. for reference, Delo's averaging 1.25 points per possession, which is the 88th percentile. He's shooting 45% in spot up situations, effective field goal percentage of 65%, and he's shooting 38% on catch and shoot threes. So this year, even with all the bullshit that the Timberwolves have dealt with and who he's played around, he's been an excellent off the ball player. Yeah. And so you put that back into, and this is with a, a, a very, you know, milk toast system in offense that hasn't really looked to maximize him as an off ball player. But the, the best thing about D'Angelo Russell, I mean, obviously he's an incredibly good pick and roll player who can set the table for every other player on the floor. Most importantly, Carl Anthony Towns, but he's really going to like help take Ant to the next level as an on-ball player because D'Lo flows into open space extremely well. He knows when to, you know, space the floor versus, you know, collapse the floor by cutting to try and open up, you know, things for other guys. He knows when to, to fire if he catches the ball versus attack a closeout or make the extra pass. And, and when you play a lineup, closing lineup, because this is what the closing lineup is going to be once D'Lo comes back. It's going to be D'Lo, Ant, Malik, Jaden, and Cat. You have five guys, on, or four guys around Ant, who all, for my money, are probably going to be consistently shooting those shots at 40% from three. And all, five, and all four of those guys can attack closeouts too. And and it's just going to be so hard to, to stop any of those guys. Not to mention two. And that's, that's when those Towns post-ups become even more valuable as well. Like yeah. That's when it's just it just becomes impossible to guard because if, if you've got two at least two a high or you've got Malik and, and D'Angelo Russell as high volume, you know, off-ball gunners, and then you've got Ant and... Uh, McDaniel's who can attack closeouts and who can run second side pick and roll, or at least Ant can run second side pick and roll, and they can both hit threes too. Ant's not a bad shooter; he's been inconsistent, but I, I give you, he's still going to hit threes. I don't mind him taking uh, threes. I never think no, I, I never think Ant shooting an open three like oh that's a shitty shot. Like no, it never goes. Yeah, exactly. By. Yeah, and like he's going to have he's had multiple games this year where he's hit like five plus. Like he's going to have nights he can shoot the ball. He's just like a high volume. Shooter, it's if you want yeah. to use that Donovan Mitchell comparison again, it's that kind of shooter where he's going to hit the he's going to at his peak, he's probably going to hit 37% at best, but he's going to shoot eight a game or so. Devin Booker, like the De- like, yeah, De- like the exactly. Devin Booker type numbers, but yeah, like I, Devin Booker is shoots pretty bad percentage wise, 
like it's like you know under thirty six percent most years, but you would not leave Devin Booker open for a single second. Yeah, at any time. Oh no. And, and the other thing too is that with D'Angelo Russell, you have a guy who's legitimately one of the best closers in the NBA. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Timber- and that's where Cat's struggling. Like Cat is struggling to force himself uh, his imprint on this team as someone who closes games and who kind of wills his team to a win in those last two minutes. And that's literally what D'Angelo Russell has built his career on. Yeah, and when Cat has been that quote-unquote... I mean, we saw what he can be as a closer in that Detroit game, where he just says, I'm better than all these dudes out here. I don't care who you are. I don't care who's in front of me. I'm going to work. And we saw that. And I think that that that's the type of empowerment that, that Russell gives Towns. You know, at the end of those games. And, you know, I think that's just going to be a huge factor once D'Lo comes back is that he's going to say, no, Cat, this is you. You know, you go do this. Yeah. And if you need help, yeah. I'll step right he up. He has that trust. He has that trust in Cat like he doesn't in some of those younger players like yeah. you said before. Yeah. And, you know, I think, and, you know, I think D'Angelo Russell is the type of guy too who, like, part of the way he trusts them has nothing to do with how good of a basketball player they are. It kind of has to do with like, okay, is this dude on the same wavelength as me? We're like, I think Josh Kogi is more on the same wavelength as him than like Jarrett Culver. Like D'Lo just didn't pass yeah. Jarrett Culver the ball. And, <laughs> and he really trusts Malik Beasley. Like those two have a lot of synergy and Ant is yep. kind of has that dog in him just like D'Lo and, and Malik do. And and so I, I think that that trust, especially in any and he's spoken glowingly too about Jaden McDaniels. So yeah. I, I think that once D'Lo kind of gets back into this mix, you just get this hyper confident group of guys who know what each other are capable of and can generate a good shot for one another on every single trip down the floor. And and for my money. You know, people who are saying we should trade D'Angelo Russell are, I just... I and, for, I, and for what you get for him right now with, you know, the injury-ridden season and all the factors that we've discussed as to why he hasn't been... He hasn't been bad this season. I think that people definitely think that he's been bad. I think he's been well below his standard. But also people just but don't he, give a shit about context. Yeah, but you don't, you don't trade a player... Like who has proven they can be good the minute they start playing not as good. Like you don't, you don't completely tank a player's value and then get pennies on the dollar. Like they believe they can make it work. They they one hundred percent will not trade D'Angelo Russell. Not right now. No, they they believe they can make it work and they believe they can make it work for all the reasons we're laying out. It's because when you really dig into it, the fit between him and Cat, and then you throw in Beasley and you throw in Ant. Like that's an offensive team that clearly has the potential to to run teams off the floor and to do a multitude of different things. They shoot, they can play slow in the pitch and roll. If you just need D'Angelo Russell to get you a bucket in the mid-range, he can do that. And going to attack closeouts, he's going to get downhill in pitch and roll. And then Malik Beasley is one of the best shooters in the NBA right now. He's not just like a good shooter. Like Malik Beasley has been a flamethrower for the entire season and it doesn't look like a fluke. Like, no, not at all. Because, I mean, those numbers that we saw last year are carrying over this year. And I mean, the way the Wolves offense is going to be constructed is you have two elite, elite isolation players in Anthony Edwards and, and D'Angelo Russell. And then you have two of the best shooters in the NBA and Malik Beasley and Carl Anthony Towns around them. And Cat, who's just the all around, like Cat is a guy who you can just give the ball. 
like, and he will score most of the time. Or get like, somebody good luck based on just, like, being yeah. out there and having the ball in his hands. And he so, was brilliant last night, Cat. Like, I know he yeah. didn't shoot as much as he had to at the end, but that he was so brilliant. His passing out of the post has improved again, I think. Like, so even some of the passes he whipped, like, just after a foul call, you know, where someone reached into his arm, like, he whipped a few one-handed, like, slingshots into the corner that were genuinely unreal, like... I'm just, I'm at, I, I, as much as I have been so disappointed this season with the offense, it's pretty hard not to at least be bullish on the offense. Like, because it's so easy to see where it can all, you know, work out. Even with a, just like an, an awful system that has not worked, really. Like, just Towns being back out there and those guys just playing you know, pick up basketball, essentially, they've still been really good on offense when Cat's been on yeah. the floor. Um, and you can survive, you can you can play, like you might not be able to maximize it, but you can play good offense even in a scheme that's not ideal. But defense is where you can't do that, and we're not talking about defense, where, which I actually think they've been pretty good defensively, at least compared to what I what I thought they would be. But Offense, like, players know how to get a bucket. Like, when a play breaks down, like, plays just aren't going to break down as much when you have that five that we're speaking about on the floor. Like, because when plays break down, dudes can just get a bucket. Like, Malik Beasley can get a bucket, and he's the fourth, and he's the, and he's the fourth best shot creator on the, on that lineup. Like, he can (laughs) at least, you know what I mean? Like, he can at least force a shot up and hit some of them. If that's your fourth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's probably a better way to describe it, I think. If that's your fourth best option, though, as You're someone golden. who can just get a, get a bucket. Yeah, exactly. If, right now, Malik Beasley is your second best option. and Or, you know, third, and depending then, on kind of what ant game you're getting. But it's just... And then whatever the hell... opens up so much for them. Yeah, and then whatever the hell Jaden McDaniels becomes. Like, yeah. Jaden McDaniels has such a fluid handle and is so fluid at 6'10", or whatever he is, that... I mean, he's shown that he can take, you know, one dribble out of the corner, cross over and pull up and make a shot. I mean, I would, for my money, I would rather have Jaden McDaniels creating his own shot right now than Malik Beasley, just because I think Malik has gotten himself into trouble by thinking he's a better on the ball player than he actually is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it, and at light in, light in games, especially. He's been, he's been the Timberwolves' worst late game player. It's not Ricky Rubio. It's not, you know, Josh Kogi, it, it's been Malik Beasley. He's consistently made and that's a, a because ton of blunders on both ends, offense and Yeah, defense. and that's because he's been, I think, even more the last few weeks, or maybe I'm just noticing him more, but he's been awful on defense lately. Oh, yeah. No, like, I'm, just, yeah, I'm working on a piece just, about about Malik's defense um, and just how and that terrible mean we it's can't, been for the Timberwolves. Yeah, and that doesn't mean we can't appreciate... Because at the start of the season, or at least you know through some of that those really bad games, Malik was the only thing that was keeping me sane by watching him drop thirty pieces yeah. on people's heads and and be great offensively. But he's just he's just, yeah, no, just nobody's really a, bad nobody's a perfect player. And for his yeah. money, Malik, and especially not someone. Yeah, I was going to say on fifteen million a year. Yeah, I mean he works his ass off. I mean effort is not the thing that is you know, what we're questioning or, you know, pointing out as a flaw because, I mean, because he's a dude who's going to, you know, work his ass off, you know, every single second that he's on the floor. Um, I, I think some of it is just like concentration and just like 
staying focused, I think is tough. And, um, you know, but he just also lets guys blow right by him. And for somebody that's as competitive as he is, it just doesn't make sense to me that he can't move his feet. I like the next step for Malik is having people go through him instead of right by him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Oh, in transition, it's, it's he's definitely one of the he's one of the worst transition defenders I've ever seen. Yeah. I don't, it's not. I don't think it's effort. It's just it's just technique and like it's just the way he kind of not gives up on the transition opportunity, but he just doesn't know where to be, and then he it just all breaks down because of him. Yeah. And it's like he's it's not like he's getting any uh you know good teammate you know good helpers and from I, teammates and because I, everyone on the team's horrible at it yeah and i think he strikes me as a guy who like wants to be right yeah so if defense like if you're having a defense like if you're communicating on defense and somebody's like malik like get out there he's gonna be like oh no i'm fine like you get out there you know what i'm saying and and i think that that that's caused you know a lot of issues on the backside for you know the the classic the timberwolves classic is or the timberwolves special is you know, a long shot from deep. Everybody ball watches. It's a long rebound. The other team sprints up the floor. And then there's a weak side trailer. You know, I think guards have started to pick up on this. Like Fred Van Vliet did this like four or five times last night and in the Sunday game too, where he would just kind of slowly walk up the court on the opposite side if he didn't have the ball, expecting that nobody was going to pick him up on the opposite wing. And they would just kick the ball to him and it would just be a walk-in layup for him from, from yeah. three. And, and, you know, for all his money, David Vanterpool has been an awesome, you know, half-court defensive coach. Because this team, without Cat, th- the fact that they've been able to be as good defensively as they have been is insane. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I want to say looking at it, like their defensive rating uh, just like hasn't been you know, completely terrible. Like they're they're I think they're like 24th in defense right now or something like that. And I think over the course of like, over the course of like, you know, the last, I don't know, probably like the last month or so, I, I think that they've been, you know, I think that they've been even better than that on defense. Um, um, let me just look it up really quick. And considering that, that we expected, both of us expected them to be a bottom five defense pretty much with or without Towns. Yeah, they've been 14th in defense over the course of the last month. Yeah, so which I'm, is really good. Like that should be if the offense was being maximized the way we wanted to, and we spend an hour talking about, they should actually be winning games. Yeah, they should be winning games, and they could just close out the last four minutes. Yeah, it's just but, they, they have stretches of these five minute periods where you don't score, and that just tanks your offensive rating. Like the Timberwolves yeah. have an offensive rating of 106.6. Yeah, I mean, over the course of that's the last not month, not good. Like that's not good, and that's including Towns playing in like six or seven games or whatever it's been since he's been yeah. out. Um, but I mean, it's cr- I I did not come in here this season thinking at all that the defense would be a lot better than the offense. Like it's just, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I think the offense is easier to fix than the defense just because. You've got a lot of pieces there that you can uh, you can get creative with and put together you yeah. know a pretty cool puzzle with, um, and and it's on you know it's on this coaching staff to get creative, but it's also on you know players just to make simple reads. Um, you know I, I think that you know we all I I think it's really easy to blame Ryan Saunders, and 
I think Ryan Saunders should like sh- there should be a lot of blame squarely on Ryan Saunders' shoulders. But at the same time, too, like it's not Ryan Saunders' fault that guys are dribbling the ball off their legs or or not catching good passes off of cuts. Like Jared Vanderbilt has lost the ball out of bounds countless times off of great passes from Rubio or Towns. Um or, you know, Malik Beasley trying to do too much on a drive or something like that. There's a lot of things that people blame Ryan Saunders for that aren't necessarily Saunders' fault. I do not think Saunders is a good coach. I don't think really anybody that covers this team or watches this team thinks that, except maybe Glenn Taylor. Um, but, you know, I, I a lot of it comes down to, too, like you were saying about Cat, was just like getting aggressive and realizing that you need to do more. Um I think that these, this team also just has to come out with a more aggressive mindset offensively. And it can't be, you know, once we're down 10, okay, shit, we really have to turn it on. I mean, it has to be like Kat was saying before we got COVID, you know, okay, we're tied. Let's make, let's get a five point lead. Let's get a five point lead. Let's get 10. Let's make 10, 20, 20, 30. You know what I'm saying? And so that that's how I think the offense gets better, you know, in addition to, all of the different things that we've laid out. I just think it's an attitude thing as much as it is a schematic or yeah. an execution yeah. thing. And I've been hard on Saunders and the, the offense a lot this season, but it's also, it's an, like an execution thing with the, the youth and the experience. You can see when they get up by 10, they just think like, we're going to just hit you know some some crazy looking threes here and we're gonna get this to 20 like the they go away from what got them to the position of winning in the first place and that and as much as we all you know can talk shit about ryan saunders i highly doubt that he's saying let's stop doing all the stuff that got us this win he might the rotations and the and some of the man management i think he he gets wrong pretty much on a nightly basis but I can guarantee you that the things they've been doing all game, he still wants them to do those things and they stop doing them because they think they're going to win. Yeah. And at this point, I don't even know how they can be thinking they're going to win in any position because they've proven that they can lose the most winnable games. So I just think it's an execution thing. I think that's a youth thing as well when when your best players or or even you know your a lot of your high usage guys are really young and... You know, Malik Beasley's a little bit older, but he's not experienced in this role of like guy who scores twenty points a game and guy who has to carry offenses for a long stretch with his scoring. Like Towns is the only one right now in the lineup who's done any, who's you know won games as a high volume guy, and even then, not that many of them. So it's I I think it is as much as I hate the well, they're young kind of cop out. They are young and and this stuff happens on young teams. Maybe not so egregiously, but it does happen. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, I have to ask you, give me, has there ever been a better dunk in Timberwolves history than Anthony Edwards last night? (laughs) Um, You know, I I think about the Andrew Wiggins on, on Rudy Gobert dunk. I don't know if you remember that. Um, yeah. Gonna, oh, yeah. I'm gonna, he had about I'm gonna, three. Go ahead. Yeah, he had about three in that game, but that was the one that was the one. Like, I haven't watched it. Not not since you know Ant last night. But I don't know if this is just me, like you know, with recency bias. But I just I can't imagine that it was that good. 
Yeah, you know, I, I definitely don't think that the Wiggins on Gobert dunk was as good. Um, but it was on Gobert. Yeah. That's the difference. So it's like, you know, if you dunk on a, a, I'd say, upcoming three-time defensive player of the year, that's a pretty nice poster to hang on your wall. I just, <laughs> in a season that's been so dull, I, I, don't, I, have ne- I have not got up off my chair like that for a very, very long time when watching Timberwolves basketball. Like, that was on the level of, like, when Dame hit the walk-off game winner against OKC. Like, that kind of get-off-your-seat excitement. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. But Ant Ant absolutely just is such a joy to watch. Yeah. Like, (laughs) is it... I don't even know if there's another Timberwolves done close. K, uh, K, KG on Blake, maybe? I, no, I, I don't, as... that one wasn't as good. The only other one I can think of is Zach Levine dunking on Alex Len. Oh, man. That, that was, was my favorite. That was, that that was, was in, such a nice dunk. That was in 2016. Um, then you obviously have – I'm watching this YouTube video that's going through some of them. You have Corey Brewer on Derek Fisher in 2009. Yeah. And they're Where showing he flew from like the free throw line. <laughs> yeah, KG on Sean Bradley in 1998. <laughs> um, Sean Bradley, man, he's a he's a highlight real you know, staple. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, and then that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of T Max dunk on Sean Bradley. That was what Ants reminded me of last night. Like that, just nuts in the face, Kobe on Dwight <laughs> kind of dunk. Like it's that one where it's like Jim- this dude is not that high, is he? Yeah, Jim Pete posted a side by side of those two photos, which was good. I mean, Akogi's had Akogi's had plenty of good posters in, in his few yeah. years, but I mean, I don't think anything in Timberwolves history outside of the Zach Levine dunk um, comes even remotely close to what Ant did. I think hands down that is the best. In game, I think it's dunk. one of the best ever. Yeah, I, I think it for sure is the best Timberwolves dunk ever, and the only one that even comes remotely close is the Zach Levine one. But you know, I, I haven't seen, I also haven't seen as many players from around the NBA chime in with "holy shit" reactions more for an in-game <laughs> yeah. dunk than this one last night. It was, That's you know, tw- Twitter absolutely broke. Anthony Edwards broke Twitter last night. Yeah, I mean, I was sitting here watching in my room. Um, you know, I jumped up and was screaming at my computer monitor, just like <laughs> as I was out of my seat, I was amped up. Like I, I can't even. I'd be like, people probably would have been looking at me like I was crazy if I was at Target Center at a media table. Uh, my watching, my girlfriend had just that. walked in the door from work, like literally <laughs> 20, 20 seconds before it, and like she hadn't walked into the lounge room where I'm watching on the TV, and she just would have heard this shriek. Coming like, and like it's just one of those moments that just like as it's unfolding you can just like see the wheels spinning like and you're like he's about to dunk on this man and then he bounced off it it's what like it's like the blake and the, the deandre jordan where they really like get an extra three feet of air off the dude's chest like yeah. they that's just an old timer man that's that's to you know for a podcast where i think we're in general fairly just negative because we cover the Timberwolves and, and positivity isn't, you know, abounds. That that was such a joyful moment. Yeah, that was that was awesome. And, you know, I think what's so important is that, like, yeah, people are going to look at his shots and say he hasn't been the most efficient or whatever. But, you know, I tweeted this out last night. You know, like, the Timberwolves are 7-23. and 23. Like, I get it, okay? Losing sucks. <laughs> I don't think there's – there are probably few people out there – that have been as consistently let down by the Timberwolves and frustrated and pissed off and have had their nights ruined 
like I have watching these Timberwolves games, yeah. you know, with a closer eye, I guess, than, than a lot of fans. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, we can't switch off. But the, yeah, like like, no, the, but the Anthony Edwards entertainment factor is so real. Like, I, I don't care what he shoots. I don't care if the Timberwolves win or lose, he delivers on the entertainment factor every single night. There's going to be something that he does over the course of the game or before the game or after the game or whatever it is that keeps you watching and keeps you having some semblance of fun. And whether it be like him dunking on somebody's face, like talking shit to Draymond Green, going back and forth. <laughs> then, that was awesome, by the way. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, just like his quotes after the game, like Dane asking him if he had Popeyes and his face just <laughs> lighting up. And it, there's just there are there is an infinite amount of things to love about Anthony Edwards and what he brings more importantly as a person and as a guy than as a player. And, you know, we get him for eight seasons after this one, assuming he signs his max rookie max contract after you know, after the first four or five years or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I personally could not be more grateful that we have somebody who is just the, is fun personified. And in Minnesota, I mean, no matter how shitty the team is or how frustrating the losses are, how pissed we are at, at this decision or that shot or, or whatever it is that, you know, at the end of the day, we can look up and be and, and think about moments like this with his dunk, or just like any of the other just goofy stuff that he's done. That's just brought a <laughs> smile to our face, and just be grateful that we get to watch him every night because it, it's a lot of yeah. fun for me, and, and I'm sure it's a lot of fun for for everybody that's listening to. Yeah, uh, I think on that note, that's a, the the Anthony Edwards eulogy is a, is a perfect way to. <laughs> to finish off this podcast oh um, rest in peace rest in pieces <laughs> rest in pieces you know what oh man i can't believe he jumped like honestly Just, good on him for jump for jumping but like make a business decision bro did make you see, a business decision get the fuck out of the way did you see bane's fan club's tweet and they were like yeah. thanking you well, you know why for a servant so that Aaron Baines wasn't the one who jumped and had to get destroyed at the rim uh, it was so funny and I saw a bunch of like Portland people and Memphis people that were like no not Yuta like no <laughs> it, was just, it was just funny uh, so good anyway um, thanks as usual Jack it's it's always a pleasure um, and yeah I'll um, sure we'll have you on again in the next few weeks yeah absolutely man can't wait to uh dive into it further with with a larger sample size and um and hopefully hopefully add a few more few more w's to the one call <laughs> new york next so hopefully tibbs doesn't embarrass us too much but uh yeah i'll, I'll see you after that and I'll, and I'll see everyone else um during the week for the for the midweek episode so yeah um thanks guys <laughs> <laughs>